we finished up the book of Esther a couple of weeks ago, um, and we head back to the book that we're technically in the middle of. You know, we're, we're here at Crossroads. We do the journey through the Bible. We started this long time ago back in Genesis, and, and now we're, we're, we're near the end of the Old Testament. And um, we were in the middle of Ezra, and where we left off was in chapter 6 with the completion of the rebuilding of the temple. Uh, at the beginning of Ezra, Cyrus the Great allowed the Jews back to Judah to rebuild the temple. Possibly, you know, it's, it's not mentioned, but they're pretty sure that Daniel had some, some kind of hand in that as, as the Persians came to power and conquered the Babylonians. Um, Daniel kind of said, hey, listen, this was prophesied that this was going to happen. And Cyrus the Great was like, that's pretty cool. I think you guys are awesome. So why don't you head back uh, or at least tell your people to head back? I mean, Daniel was, was pretty old by then, so he wasn't heading back. But he's like, why don't you tell your people to head back and uh, rebuild that temple and uh, do the things that, that you guys need to do? And, and so that's what happened. And so they built the foundation and then ran into some issues uh, with the people who were already there. Uh, and then they stopped building for about 20 years because they were facing such crazy political pressures and stuff. And and then they were encouraged by the prophets Haggai and Zechariah uh, to complete the building uh, of, of the temple. Uh, part of the way into that, though, they ran into some more problems with those same people again, but were able to move on after King Darius had found King Cyrus's decree a few years later. And uh, he looked around the capital and rummaged around and said, oh, yeah, here's Cyrus's decree. And so Darius says, hey, why don't you go over there and actually do the job uh, that, that Cyrus had originally called you to do. And so they go ahead and they do that. The head back, and lo and behold, the temple is completed. Now, for us, we veered into Haggai, Zechariah, and Esther as all of those books took place uh, at the time of, of chapters kind of at the end of chapter 5 of Ezra, chapter 6 of Ezra, and then the gap between 6 and 7. And the gap in between chapter 6 and 7 of Ezra is like 52 years. There's, there's, a, there's a good size gap there, and so there was, there was quite a bit of time. Um, so as we get back into this, as, as we go back into chapter 7, we're actually finally introduced, if you guys can remember when we were going through the first six chapters, we're finally introduced in chapter 7 to Ezra, to the namesake of the book. He finally shows up. Um, he's writing all the other chapters, and, and he's like, oh, I, I, I guess I might as well put myself in here and what I did <laughs> while, while I was uh, following God. And so we finally get to see Ezra in chapter 7 of this. It's only a 10-chapter book, so we're two-thirds of the way through, and Ezra finally shows up. Now, this is about 20 years after the story of, of Esther. So Esther's done, and about 20 years later, Ezra shows up on the scene. Xerxes is dead and gone. And his son Artaxerxes is king. And no, Artaxerxes is not the son of either Vashti or Esther. Uh, his mother's name is Amestris, but we're not going to bog ourselves down in the historical details of that because honestly, it doesn't really matter. What we care about is about, Esther, or is about Ezra, uh, who he is, and what God's plans are for him and what he's going to be doing. So as we read this, remember the Israelites' worship of God is, is what they thought was the right thing to do. You know, they've been scattered. They're all over the place. And, and though the temple is rebuilt and uh, all these things are kind of happening and, and Judah, you know, the, the Israelites are back in Judah and they've built a temple, 
three, at least three quarters of the Jews are dispersed throughout the land of, of Persia, throughout the Persian Empire. So they're all over the place. So their worship of God doesn't look much like what you see in the book of you know Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy and those kinds of things. They're, they're not really able to do that because, well, they're not near the temple. They don't have altars for sacrifices. In fact, we don't even know how much of the sacrificial system's happening. They started building synagogues uh, to kind of do something. They're like, well, let's worship God in some way, shape, or form. So synagogues have been built throughout the Persian Empire, and they're just doing the best that they can. Most of them are probably probably being led by people who can trace their ancestry to the tribe of Levi. So they're probably Levites. Chances are they're not priests, though. Um, so it's just kind of like, well, I've got some knowledge of this. And so let's let's go ahead and move forward with, with what we can do and see what happens. Uh, if God doesn't strike us dead, I guess we just keep moving. <laughs> it's kind of the thought process at the time. And so they're kind of stuck in in this weird kind of no man's land of, well, what are how is this supposed to work? And so so they've got it all set up. It's also very difficult because, I mean, at this time, you didn't have like Barnes and Noble. They weren't like going off to the store and saying, you know what? I think I'm going to grab a copy of Leviticus really quick. Make sure we're doing this right. They didn't get to do that. So a lot of it was probably handed down, you know, well, back in the day when we were in Jerusalem, we used to do this. Actually, probably none of them said that. They probably said, back in the day, Grandpa used to do this back in Jerusalem. At least that's what he told me. And so let's see if we can do something like that. So it's 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 all kind of discombobulated, kind of messed up. But at the same time, God is still there. God, of course, is still present. And he's still working through the people. And we saw that in the book of Esther. You know, Mordecai uh, establishes the, 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 the Purim holiday and everything uh, based on what happened with, with Haman and, and, and the, the, the possible, you know, annihilation of the Jews. So all that stuff is kind of set up, and, and that's what's going on. And they're, again, the people are just kind of trying to work this out. So though the temple is built, like I said, three-quarters of the population is spread throughout, but, but about a quarter of the population of Jews are in Jerusalem. So the temple's built, and we're there, and, and they're just kind of doing stuff. But based on what we're about to see here today with Ezra being called back to Jerusalem— they're not doing it right. They're not doing it correctly. Now, don't get me wrong. Part of the, the problem is they don't have everything that they need for the temple. Remember, the Ark of the Covenant has been lost since the time of Nebuchadnezzar. He took it, and now we don't know what happened to it. According to the Raiders of the Lost Ark, though, in Indiana Jones, it's on a shipping ca- container in a, tr- in a ship somewhere in the world because they found it during the Nazi regime, and everybody's face melted off, and they took the cover off. I mean, it was terrible. So I... I don't know where the truth is in that, but but I love that movie, so so I'm pretty sure it's true. Anyways, um, so so the Area 51, right? Because because we have everything. It's probably in a, in a London museum since they've taken. Anyways, uh, so there's all sorts of stuff, you know, that's that that they can't really do, but at the same time, God can still work through that. They did rebuild the altar uh, so that they could do the animal sacrifices and those kinds of things. So like I said, they weren't exactly doing it correctly. So here enters Ezra. If you have your Bible, open up to the book of Ezra. 
it's it's near the end of the the Old Testament there. Uh, uh, if 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 you have an electronic Bible, it's really easy for you to find. Just hit Ezra, and you should be there. Um, if not, look in your table of contents there. Mine's on page three hundred three. So if you have this Bible, three hundred three is where you want to. Be. No, I'm just kidding. All right, um, Ezra chapter seven, starting at verse one. Let's let's meet our buddy Ezra here. Now after this. In the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Ezra, the son of Sariah, son of Azariah, son of Hilkiah, son of Shalom, son of Zadok, son of Ahitub, son of Amariah, son of Azariah, son of Marioth, uh, son of Zariah, son of Uzi, son of Buki, son of Abishua, son of Phineas, son of Eleazar, son of Aaron, the chief priest, this Ezra ran up from Babylonia. He was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses that the Lord, the God of Israel, had given, and the king granted him all that he asked, for the hand of the Lord his God was on him. Verse 7. Excuse me. And there went up also to Jerusalem in the seventh year of Artaxerxes the king, some of the people of Israel and some of the priests and Levites, the singers and gatekeepers and the temple servants. And Ezra came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which was in the seventh year of the king. For on the first day of the first month, he began to go up from Babylonia. And on the first day of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem for the good hand of, God, of, of his God was on him. Verse 10, for Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. So we'll pause there for a second here. Needless to say, the call of God was definitely on Ezra's life. As Kevin Setapadiratna said last week, he had an appointment, right? If you guys were here with us last week, he definitely had an appointment. God had a plan, had a design of, of what was going to happen. Um, and the brief lineage at the beginning of this passage is part of the proof of who he was. He is, uh, he is of the high priestly line of Aaron's son, uh, Eleazar. Uh, there is like an 800-year gap between Aaron and Ezra. So these are not the names of every single direct ancestor of Ezra. You can see more of a complete line in 1 Chronicles chapter 6, which they're pretty sure Ezra wrote also. Um, Ezra seems to give the names mainly of the kind of the most faithful of the high priests uh, in the line up to that point in time. Some of them, if you can remember, uh, during the, in, the, in the book of, books of 1 and 2 Samuel, and uh, stuff like that, uh, they actually left the line of, of Eleazar and went to uh, the other son's line for the high priesthood. And then it got all goofy with David as king. They had two high priests, and then Solomon was like, yeah, that's ridiculous. Let's get back to the way it should. And Zadok became a uh, high priest and all that good stuff. So, so he is of that high priestly line and gives a little bit of his, uh, of his lineage. Now, he's extremely knowledgeable about the law of God since he is a scribe, uh, but that title also relates to authority within the Persian Empire. Um, uh, the history goes that he was probably in charge of Jewish religious affairs in Babylon, like, like, he, he, was, he was so good with the Word of God and understood how this worked and, and the Torah and all that stuff that he was placed in charge by Artaxerxes um, to, to kind of 
being just again just kind of be in charge of those kinds of things and watched over that and babylon remember is, is still like a a a, a powerful city still a, is still a large city within the persian empire it's just not their capital or anything but they care about that area because it's a pretty large area of land there's quite a few people uh in in that area so he's got that position he's in charge of jewish religious affairs probably um and and he, he's about to go on this journey to Jerusalem, but he got in that position because the hand of the Lord was on him, right? That's what it says. The hand of the Lord was on him. In fact, the hand of the Lord is present throughout this chapter. We see this as Ezra takes a large group of people who will be part of instituting proper worship back in the temple. From where he is in Babylonia, it's a four-month journey to Jerusalem. If you guys remembered, uh, it said on the first day of the first month, he left, and he didn't reach there until to the first day of the fifth month. So this was a four-month journey. So, so cars apparently have not been invented yet. If you were wondering about that, that has not happened. And so he had to walk. And I mean, I don't even think he was on a camel because I think he would have made it at least in three months. Anyways, um, so all these different, you know, he's, he's got this all set up. He's called to go back to Jerusalem to kind of teach the law and do that kind of stuff. And he takes that large contingency of people who will be in instituting a part of, you know, that, that proper worship back in the temple. Um, so the fact that he adds right at the end there that the good hand of the Lord, uh, in verse 9, that the good hand of the Lord was on him, indicates that it was kind of a treacherous journey. You're dealing with marauders, you're dealing with thieves, uh, dealing with people that just might jump. You know, think about the story of Jesus, uh, the parable of the Good Samaritan. You know, it's, it was dangerous. I mean, it's dangerous walking those routes and, and things can happen. So he's on this journey, it's a long journey, and he's got to face all these things but the good hand of the Lord was on him and he was able to make it back there because God had an appointment for him. So he has all the spiritual authority he needs while traveling to and entering into Jerusalem, being that he's a priest, he's very well studied in the word of God and God's hand is on his life. That spiritual authority has technically permeated into physical authority. We saw in verse six that the king would grant all that he asked. The king is like, hey, listen, Artaxerxes is like, listen, Ezra, you, you seem to be doing really good there in Babylonia. Whatever you ask, boom, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do this for you. And we see this even more in the next few verses here. Verses 11 through 26, they contain a letter written by Artaxerxes given to Ezra so that he can just kind of do what he needs to do, and it gives him that royal authority to do what he, technically what God, really wanted to do. So really quick here, let's read this. Uh, verse 11 of chapter 7. This is a copy of the letter that King Artaxerxes gave to Ezra the priest, the scribe, a man learned in matters of the commandments of the Lord and his statutes for Israel. Artaxerxes, king of kings, to Ezra the priest, the scribe of the law of the God of heaven. Peace, and now I make a decree that any one of the people of Israel or their priests or Levites in my kingdom who freely, uh, who, who freely offers to go to Jerusalem may go with you. Verse 14, for you are sent by the king and his seven counselors to make inquiries about Judah and Jerusalem 
Jerusalem according to the law of your God, which is in your hand, and also to carry the silver and gold that the king and his counselors have freely offered to the God of Israel, whose dwelling is in Jerusalem, with all the silver and gold that you shall find in the whole province of Babylonia, and with the freewill offerings of the people and the priests vowed willingly for the house of their God that is in Jerusalem. Verse 17, with this money then you shall with all diligence buy bulls, rams, and lambs with their grain offerings and their drink offerings, and you shall offer them on the altar of the house of your God that is in Jerusalem. Whatever seems good to you and your brothers, do with the rest of the silver and gold. You may do according to the will of your God. The vessels that have been given you for the service of the house of your God, you shall deliver before the God of Jerusalem, and whatever else is required for the house of your God, which it falls to you to provide, you may provide it out of the king's treasury. Verse 21, and I, Artaxerxes the king, make a decree to all the treasuries, to all the treasurers in the province beyond the river, whatever Ezra the priest, the scribe of the law of the God of heaven, requires of you, let it be done with all diligence, up to 100 talents of silver, 100 cores of wheat, 100 baths of wine, 100 baths of oil, and salt without prescribing how much. Whatever is decreed by the God of heaven, let it be done in full for the house of the God of heaven, lest his wrath be against the realm of the kingdom and his sons. We also notify you that it shall not be lawful to impose tribute, custom, or toll on any of the priests, the Levites, uh, the singers, the doorkeepers, the temple servants, or other servants of this house of God. Verse 25. And you, Ezra, according to the wisdom of your God that is in your hand, appoint magistrates and judges who may judge all the people in the province beyond the river, all such as know, uh, all such as know the laws of your God, and those who do not know them you shall teach. Whoever will not obey the law of your God and the law of the king, let judgment be strictly executed on him, whether the, uh, whether for death or for banishment or for confiscation of his goods or for imprisonment. Wow. Artaxerxes just came out with this carte blanche of, here you go, Ezra, do what you need to do. Have fun with this. Listen, he received more than enough money to purchase grain, animals, and wine for sacrifices and offerings. The leftover money they can do with as they wish according to God's will or according to God's law. While he reestablishes rightful worship practices, they will be funded by the taxes collected in the region beyond the river. That's beyond Euphrates River. That entire region, that's where they're going to get all their money from. However, listen to this. The priests, Levites, singers, and other temple workers, guess what? They're tax exempt. You don't have to pay taxes. And if you try to charge them with taxes, we're going to chop your head off. Well, I don't know if it went that far, but it was definitely don't you dare charge them the taxes. Uh, To top it all off, Artaxerxes makes sure Ezra appoints judges and magistrates for some law and order in the area, in the entire region, and they can judge with the law of God as their foundation because apparently Artaxerxes is like, well, my law and this law that you guys follow, they seem pretty similar. So you can go ahead and use that with a combination of my law and everything should be good to go. Have fun on, on your trip. This is, I mean, in the, even in the United States of America, this is quite amazing. I mean, they, they just straight up said, hey, listen, you got to get back there and you got to get everything reestablished. Here's a bunch of money to do it. When was the last time the government said to any church in the United States of America, you need to get stuff done in your church? Here's a bunch of money for you. Enjoy that. All the taxes we've collected, we're going to give it to the churches. 
boy, would that be a crazy day or what if that ever happened? Holy cow. But that is exactly what happened. Now, Let's look at the surface level of this really quick. The reasons that would have made the news back in uh, 458 BC, okay? It's probably a 70-30 split of political and spiritual reasons. Uh, 30%, 30% spiritual in the fact that Artaxerxes is similar to most of the other Persian kings who he's followed. And their idea in their head for those Persian kings was always, I want to cover my own rear end should something happen, so I don't want to tick off any of the gods in the area. So we're going to make sure that all the gods are really happy. Everything's good. We're going to give these religions all that they want. Because remember that the belief at the time for a very long time was the God that lived in a certain area just had power in that area. So, so Artaxerxes is like, it's fine. Your God is in Jerusalem. He's good. He's not over here in Susa. You know, your God isn't all over the place. He's not omnipresent. That's that, there's no such thing as a God that has that power, at least according to their beliefs. And so, yeah, you go ahead and you do that. But, but we just want to make sure that we do this so that we cover our rear end. That way, if something happens, the wrath of your God doesn't come against us. And he even said that within the letter. And so he's like, you go ahead and you go back and you do that so that, so that we're all good. Now, the other part of it is, is political. It's probably seven. 70% political. Uh, during the reign of Artaxerxes, Egypt is trying to, to kind of like get their claws into some of that, that area. And so Artaxerxes is kind of concerned. Listen, I need that contingency beyond the river, beyond, beyond the Euphrates. There's a lot of people over there. And if Egypt is going to come up and start gaining power, I'm in trouble. So I'm going to need to make sure that all these people kind of get what they want so that they like me and so that they stay on my side because I don't want to lose my empire because that would be terrible because any emperor would know I don't want to lose any of my empire. So there's, there's an aspect to where it's kind of political at the same time where he's like, if I keep these people happy, Egypt isn't going to come in and start wreaking havoc and, and it's, it's, it's going to be kind of, kind of crazy. Now that's, that's what Persian News 1 would have told you back in 450. BC. Okay, Artaxerxes really concerned about the spiritual things going on, and he's also concerned about the political unrest with Egypt. So, so he's doing everything he can to help the Jews out back in Jerusalem, and everybody been like, okay, that's great. That's, that's how the news works. I want to make sure that we're a strong empire. And so that's how it was. However, Ezra knew the real reason that this was happening in verse 27 and 28. Let's read the final part of this chapter. Blessed be the Lord, the God of our fathers, who put such a thing as this into the heart of the king to beautify the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem and who extended to me his steadfast love before the king and his counselors and before all the king's mighty officers. I took courage for the hand of the Lord my God was on me and I gathered leading men from Israel to go up with me. He knew. This is all God. God has a plan. God has a design for this. He wants to go back. He wants to make the temple correct. He wants to make this right. And he has chosen me, and I get to go and do this. This is amazing. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for instilling this into the heart of Artaxerxes, even though everybody else on the outside may look at the physical aspect of it and think, well, this is the reason why he's doing it. This is all God. The funny thing is, just to give you a heads up on, a, on a, kind of a twist here, though Artaxerxes may have been concerned about Egypt, God had already taken care of that. Back in the book of Jeremiah, uh, God had prophesied over Egypt and said, guess what? 
You're no longer a world power. This isn't going to happen anymore. All those days that you were so powerful and so awesome, it ain't happening. Artaxerxes didn't even have to worry about Egypt because the God of the Jews, the one true God, had already said it's not going to happen anyways. So, so all of these things that, that are happening is all because of God. God has made this happen, and he's, he's, he's set it up. Now, Ezra was chosen by God. God selected him for a reason. Was it because he was in the line of priests? Technically, no. Was it because he wasn't good standing with Artaxerxes? He did a really good job in Babylonia, and God was like, that was very kind of you, Ezra. I tell you what, why don't you lead the people? No, it has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with back in verse 10. Back in verse 10. Actually, let's start at verse 9. For on the first day of the first month, he began to go up from Babylonia. And on the first day of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem. For the good hand of God, his God was on him. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. Ezra set his heart to the study of the law of God. Ezra wanted to know the word of God. Ezra wanted to know God, and so he studied the law. Let's wake you guys up for a second here. Why don't you all stand up with me real quick? If you don't mind, if, if it's hard, I get it. Let me see if I can do this. This might be kind of hard. It's a little bit smaller group than I thought we would have today. Very sorry. So we got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, and I'll be sixteen. Hoofda. I'm gonna have to pull out a calculator for this because I was hoping for a, a more round number. I said sixteen, right? Oh, now it wants me to enter my code. I just want a calculator. All right. Here we go, calculator. I said 16. Okay, 16. All right, this is going to get kind of interesting. Let's do this. All right, we're going to have Ray and Paulina. Paulina, you're half, right? We're going to cut. We're going to have to cut you in half, Paulina. But it's okay. We can bring over. Um, let's bring over Doyle. You you come down. Just kind of, kind of stand in the, in the row in front of you. There you go. So remember, it's Ray and half of Polina, and then Polina, your other half is a separate group. Uh, I'm ch- just give me a second here. Uh, Doyle, you, you are one full person, and then your your sister, right? Sister, I'm, I'm very sorry, I've already forgotten your name. Sister, half of you will be with, with Doyle, and then the other half of you will be with your daughter, okay? So just kind of stretch your arms out and stand there for like an hour. No, just kidding. You don't have to do that. Okay, let me see. 11, 5, you are a full person. Half, half, full, half, half, full. All right. Doyle's brother-in-law. Scoot over a little bit. You're one. Harold. One, two, three, four. Okay. We're good. So, Harold, you're half with Doyle's brother-in-law. Violet, you're whole. Along with the other half of Harold, literally. 
Alicia, you get to be a whole person with half of Britta. Half of Britta gets to be with Matt. And then half of Matt, I'm pretty sure half of Matt and the rest of us are a group. Now stay there, okay? Stay there. Don't move. Here we go. Bible frequency. How often people use the Bible in the United States of America? Adults. This is back in 2021. 11% daily. So Ray, half of Paulina in this group. I like to show you in this group alone. Because when you start thinking about, oh, the nation is 256 million people, you don't get it. So one and a half, read it on a da- use it on a daily basis. 5%, half of Paulina uses it four to six times a week. 9% use it several times, two to three times a week. So that's half of Paulina, half of, or, and, and a whole... No, a whole Doyle and a half of his sister. (laughs) Next, once a week, at least once a week, half of Doyle's sister, all of Doyle's sister's daughter. (laughs) Sorry, (laughs) again. So that is people that use it at least once a week, so that that area. Once a month, 8%. So the whole of of Doyle's brother-in-law, half of Harold. Half of Harold... Um, and, and all of Violet are three to four times a year. Three to four times a year, 8%. Next, we've got Alicia on her own with half of Britta. Once or twice a year. So I did mess it up. So it's going to be half of Britta, all of... Uh, Matt less than once a year and then the rest of us Joy, Vicky, Pat Brenda, myself never never so so this group right here pretty much one, two, three, four, five of you use it at least once a week the rest one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven at least four times a year, a year, a year. That's how it is. That's how often people use the word of God. Why don't you sit down? You can sit down now. Just to kind of give you a heads up. Just to kind of give you that little bit of that little bit of a picture of how that works. Now listen, Ezra set his mind to studying, living, and teaching it. This is probably one of the top three problems in the church in America is the fact that we don't we we don't really read the word, let alone study it. Now that was according that was that was a Barna research thing, and so that was Bible use frequency. How often do you use the Bible? Now listen, how often do you use the Bible on your own? So that is not even. They're like, no, you don't get to count when you heard it on Sunday morning or a midweek Bible study or something on your own, on your own. So it quits, quote, unquote, quote, unquote, even worse. So it's like 33, 34% are looking at it on a weekly basis. That's it. 67%, you get into the yearly category. 
the, the or the monthly category, which is with you know once a month and whatnot. It's it's crazy to think about this, friends. Listen. Uh, apparently 67% of the church is trying to live off of, of what they heard on Sunday morning, maybe a midweek Bible study, or whatever they can remember from when they were in Sunday school as kids. I know a lot of people that remember a lot of those stories, right? A lot of people know the story of Jonah and the whale, David and Goliath. They even know about Jesus. They probably know about all the parables and all those kinds of things. They've heard those stories. They've, they've gotten those However, churchgoers are probably more versed in their creeds, in their catechisms, in their denominational stances, or even agendas. But, but Pastor Dave, all those things, they're, they're good in the fact that, that they're all based on the Word of God. Those things are based on the Word of God, Pastor Dave. Doesn't that count? Well, let's talk about that real quick. A couple weeks ago, Father's Day, we gave the dads. What did we give the dads? Bacon, right? What was it made out of? Pork, pork. What would you have been like? Hey, we got bacon for you guys. And it was turkey. What would you have done? You would have been ticked, right? Yes. You may not have cussed me out loudly, but in your head. They gave me turkey bacon. Listen, my family and I, we, we shop generic brands. So we don't buy Nestle Toll House when we buy chocolate chips, nor do we buy Hershey's. We buy Best Choice or Great Value or whatever. And guess what? you got to be very careful buying chocolate chips when you buy generic. You better read that label because guess what? You're either getting chocolate chips or you're getting chocolate-flavored chips. It ain't the same, friends. Trust me. It is not the same. That's kind of what that is, though. Well, the, the catechisms, the, the, the denominational stances, they're based on Scripture. The sermons are based on Scripture. The Bible study is based on Scripture. That's great. That's chocolate-flavored chips. You want chocolate chips? you got to get to the Word of God. If it's based on the word of God, it's turkey bacon. You want bacon, pork bacon? You better be reading the word of God. You better be using the word of God. Now listen, the above-mentioned items, like I said, catechisms, Bible studies, devotions that you might do, they're good. And they help the church to understand and come together in solidarity. However, they are not the word of God. They are not the word of God because they don't do this. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12, a lot of you probably know this. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. 2 Timothy 3, or 2 Timothy 3 16 through 17, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Listen, friends, this is the word of God. Not the word of Dave Siski. Not the word of Billy Graham. Not the word of Andy Stanley. Not the word of D.L. Moody. Not the word of Smith Wigglesworth. Not the word of Martin Luther. Not the word of insert church historian here. Not the words of Paul. Not the words of Peter. Not the words of Jeremiah, Moses. The word of God. 
The word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. The word of God pierces the heart. The word of God changes who we are. The word of God cleanses us and makes us equipped. Now listen, friends. We are a Pentecostal church. We believe in the present working of the Holy Spirit in our lives. I believe it firmly. I do believe that those things happen still today. I do believe you have prophecy, you got word of knowledge, you got tongues, interpretation, uh, healing. I believe all those things are still around alive today. I'm not here to argue those things, though, right now. But listen, we are not immune to the issue as one of the problems with Pentecostalism is an imbalance that we place on the spirit and the word. Listen, friends, when we focus more on the Holy Spirit and study the word less, it slows our progress with God, okay? It slows our progress with God. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. He has been sent as another counselor. He has been sent to help us. He has been sent to guide us in all truth. But when we decide to push the word of God off, it slows our progress with God. It slows our progress with God. How many of you have ever taken an open book or an open notebook test when you were in school? Any of you got got to do that? If you had a good teacher, right before that open book test, maybe even a week before that open book test, if you had a good teacher, what did they probably tell you? Make sure you study still. (laughs) Make sure you know stuff. You want to know why? Because all you got is that 45 minutes in that class to take that test. And if you're going to sit there with your open book and think that you're just going to come in here and just be able to flip through those pages or, or scroll through those notes, I'm pretty sure everybody in this room was flipping through pages. Yes, not scrolling through notes on a phone. Anyway, so you, uh, flipping, well, no, yeah, you're, your daughter, sorry. So you, 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 know, you know about scrolling. Okay, so sorry, I, I totally messed that up. Anyways, you had to you would want to know a good chunk of the stuff because if you didn't, sure, maybe you get 10 answers of a 30-question <laughs> test right because you were able to look through. But what happens when you don't answer the rest of the questions? You still failed. <laughs> that's, 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 that's a 60%. That, no, it's 33.33333% of a test that, that you got. You had to study. You had to know what was going on as you went into the test. You, you didn't just want to sit down and be like, oh, I didn't study at all. I just looked at all this stuff. This is kind of how it works. We waste time looking up the answer for each question. We can't get it. However, if we're studied, we can get through the test much quicker and leave looking up answers to fewer questions. Oh, I know this stuff, so I can do this. I understand this. I understand this. I don't know that one so much. Let me look over here. Oh, yeah, that's what it is. And those kinds of things. And and then you can move quickly. Listen, friends, if you're in the middle of a spiritual emergency situation and you don't have the opportunity to look into the Word of God and you're not sure if it's the Holy Spirit speaking to you or not, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. I don't know the Word of God. Satan can show up as an angel of light according to 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. Is this Satan or is it the Holy Spirit leading me in what I'm supposed to be doing? I haven't picked up my Bible in seven months. I've been listening to some stuff, you know, I've, I've been going to church, I've been, I've been listening to the sermons, but shoot, we didn't talk about this at all on Sunday morning. We didn't talk about this at all at, at my Bible study. Now what do I do? And it slows the progress down. It stops you kind of dead in your tracks, and then you just make, 
you try to make a choice. Now, don't get me wrong, friends. Yes, you make the wrong choice. You make the wrong decision. God's grace is there to bring you to forgiveness. He'll cleanse you of your sins. He'll bring you right. But guess what? You've just halted a lot of stuff that could just happen like that. And you can keep moving and you can keep progressing at a much quicker rate and get more done for the kingdom of God when you understand and know who God is based on your study of the word. I've read the word. I know this is the Holy Spirit leading me based on such and such happening, based on this and that. This is the Holy Spirit. I'm going to move forward. As opposed to, I don't know if there's the Holy Spirit or not. Maybe I need to go back. Oh, I don't have time to look back in my word. Even, if, even though it's on my phone, the situation's really dangerous or whatever's going on. Let's just do this. See what happens. Throw caution into the wind. And again, God's grace is there. But that's not how we use God's grace. That's not how we should be using God's grace. It should be, God, I, I, I did mess up. But but I, I, I knew I was going I thought I was going the right direction because of this. I'm 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 losing my point here. <laughs> You're not going to be perfect in all of your choice making, even even if you study the word of God. But I'm telling you right now, it's going to help you move more quickly. It's going to help you to progress more quickly if you go ahead and study the word of God on on at least a couple of times a week basis. It it said eleven percent use it seven days a week. I don't know if people fudged their answers or not. I, it's seven days a week is, is hard for, for most human beings, period. But at least get into the Word at least a few times a week on your own. Listen, I, I do my best to make sure I'm studied up and that I know the Word of God as I give it to you. But I'm telling you right now, there's nothing like getting into it on your own. You get into those situations and you're like, Lord, thank you for speaking to my life on that. I mean, it's, it's fine. You can, I, I hope the Lord speaks to you through sermons, through Bible studies, and through the devotions that you might do. But, but there's just something there about the Word of God. And listen, you may sit down, you may read it, and you're like, this, I, I, I'm not doing it. I, this, this has nothing to do with me, Lord. I, I do not understand why I read that. I don't get it. It's, there's, there's nothing there. Great. Filter it to the to the back of your mind, because he'll bring it back to you. He will bring it back to you. Listen, when we talk about studying the Word of God, it's really studying it. I, like I said, a lot of people know a lot of the stories in the Bible. A lot of people do. I mean, we live in a town with a bunch of churches, and they, they all know the stories. I remember one time we were doing something with a youth group, and one of the kids was like, oh, yeah, I learned that in, uh, in confirmation class last week. And uh, it was a story of Jonah or something. Oh, we learned that. That's great. Knowing the stories is neat. It's nifty. Guess what? I know a lot of stories. I told you. I, I knew the story of Raiders of the Lost Ark. But guess what Raiders of the Lost Ark isn't doing for me? Changing my life. <laughs> guiding me. It shouldn't be guiding me. <laughs> it's technically. It's one thing to know the stories. It's one thing to know the reasons for the stories. It's one thing to know the stories. It's, it's another thing to apply them to our lives, to our situation. Lord, what are you saying to me through this story? I may be lost here, Lord, but I don't get it. And, and maybe you don't. Maybe you don't get an answer right away. 
I, I don't get why I read that. I don't, that doesn't make any sense to me. I, I don't know why. Why are we reading the Old Testament? That, that, that has no use for today, which is garbage, friends. Listen, <laughs> everything that we read, those two scriptures about the Word of God, they didn't have the New Testament. So guess what? They're talking about the Old Testament <laughs> in, those, in those two verses. The New Testament wasn't even in existence at that time. They had some writings about the Gospels, uh, but, but it's all Old Testament stuff that they're talking about there. We get the wonderful addition of the New Testament to add to that. But all those things are powerful, and they help you. Don't just know the stories, friends. Don't just say, oh, yeah, I know the story of David and Goliath. I know the story of Jonah and the whale. I know, you know the story of Samuel and his mother's prayer and all that stuff. I know the story of Samson and Delilah. That's great. That's great that you know those stories. But how do they apply to you? How do they apply to your situations? And that's the problem. Like I said, that's the problem with so many churches in the United States of America today. They might know some of that stuff, but they don't know how it applies. And then you're lost. Then you don't want to read it. It's like, I don't get how this applies. So I want to encourage you, when you read the Word of God, say, Lord, how is this applying to me? And like I said, you may not get an answer right away, but be faithful. Be diligent. Say, Lord... Thank you for what I think right now is useless knowledge. <laughs> Hopefully you'll make it useful at some point in my life. And if it doesn't, listen, the word of God does not return void. It's going gonna, it's gonna to affect you some way, shape, or form. It's going to affect you some way, shape, or form. Why don't you stand with me today? We're going to pray together. And I, I want to encourage you. I know we read an entire chapter of a book like we usually do on Sunday morning. But I want to encourage, I want to challenge you to go home today at some point, whenever you can, read another chapter somewhere else. If you, if you want to read chapter 8 of Ezra, go ahead and jump ahead. You can do whatever you want. But I want to encourage you to do it on your own, to get into the Word of God. Do it a couple of times this week. See what happens. See how your life can change when you take the time and say, Lord, what does this do for me?